small groups. Isn't climate change a big problem? The biggest problem? A huge problem? Why would we ever want to be going smaller rather than bigger? Welcome to the Climate Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim DeChristopher. And I'm Peter Bowden. We're working through the challenges of the climate crisis from the uncharted to the unthinkable. We're here in the kitchen of Marlo Markham, who's an organizer I've worked with for a long time and one of the founders of the Climate Disobedience Center. Marla, welcome to the podcast. And I just got to ask, are, are, you, are you crazy for focusing on small groups in the work that the Climate Disobedience Center is doing? Why would you be wanting to be go smaller in tackling the climate crisis? Well, I'm not sure who said this first, but I'm pretty sure that the, the slow way is the fast way. Uh, meaning that if we don't build that really strong base of people who can be in the work for the long haul, that we're not going to get anywhere. And so we're excited to, to be building that base with, with people in small groups so we can go big. And I have to say, Marla Markham is one of my favorite <laughs> activists. When I was getting involved, like trying to figure out how to plug in that you were, uh, you're one of the co-founders of the Better Future Project and 350 Mass. Um, and so when I showed up, you were, you know, in like the peak of that organizing and was one of the first people who actually recognized that I kept showing up. In fact, I remember one time it's like we're organizing a big group photo and I'm like, oh, great. They're taking a photo. And I'm like, where's the photographer? And she's like, now, Peter, tell us what to do. I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. I was like, anyhow, Peter's the photographer. Anyhow, and um, so just thank you for your work. Um, and it's through that that I met Tim and you guys launched the Climate Disobedience Center. And uh, so... Welcome it's just, just like a love kitchen. fest. For me, it's a love fest. We're Tim and Marla. So, but we're talking small groups. Yeah, and the, the Climate Disobedience Center has, has recently refocused a lot of its efforts on small groups that, that we're calling praxis groups of, of folks who, who come together and are holistically supported. Marla, you want to talk a little bit about what, those, what you hope those groups look like and what you hope they do? Yeah, so we really hope that, that one of the things that can happen is that people who are going to take action together in an ongoing way can, can really carve out the time to develop some deeper relationships with each other and um, to think more deeply about, about the work, how they, how they understand themselves to be grounded in it, and, um, and what their own commitments really are. And, and one of the reasons we think it's important for people to be able to do this is that it develops this small community of support that might allow people to um, to take a bigger risk than they otherwise um, would would perhaps think that they could. And it's going to allow them to go the distance. So you've got these, these people who love and trust each other, who've learned to work with each other, who've met each other where they are. We all need to grow and do better. Um, we need on the left to support each other a little bit better. And so developing ways of supporting, shifting that culture of that maybe looks sometimes a little toxic on the left. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that's a really important point about supporting people for the long term and and something that we've already talked about a good bit here on the podcast of of what it takes to be able to to hold the the despairing reality of the climate crisis and and to not go crazy and to be able to keep doing the work that that we need to be doing. Um, and, and I certainly think that, that that is something that takes community support. It takes other people who, who you can be with face-to-face -face who can remind you that you're not the crazy one, 
that, <laughs> that, that the society that pretends that this is not uh, an important issue is, is the insanity, but that, that those of us that are trying to do something about it um, are, are the ones who um, should be feeling grounded and, mm -hmm. and stable, um, but that takes some, some support and help to build that stability. That's right. And I think that um, that what we've learned really over time of working through lots and lots of actions and lots of campaigns is that, of course, in addition to building that community of support among people that can hold together, we also need to be building just the basic skills that um, it's it's not just the willingness and the love to support each other. There are real skills that we need to develop to be able to counter the most powerful industry in the history of the world. And um and, and we're really trying to meld this, like the idea of an affinity group and the idea of something more like a small group ministry that, that's, that's a little bit more grounded and reflective. Um, I feel like those two things can really complement each other. And um, so building skills, building the desire to, to do actions and, and getting and, closer. And that example of the small group ministry, Peter, I know that you've spent a lot of time in your past working with small group ministries. What were some of the things you learned from that's that? That's moved from helping people from diverse religious, spiritual backgrounds come together to discuss issues of meaning and purpose um, to now a lot more secular work as uh, more and more people are realizing that we're facing um, social isolation. There's a growing loneliness epi epidemic people are talking about. So and we just need to bring people together, humans together generally. But so my work for years, I grew up Unitarian Universalist and the, the ch that church evolved I mean, the religion evolved to be no longer focused on the Bible. I got involved in saying, hey, we can bring people with diverse views on the nature of the universe and God and this and that together. People are Buddhist, humanist, whatever, together to talk about what we value. And that led to a small group explosion over the last 10 years, um, which really drove my work uh, nationally consulting and training people. Like, how do we use community to help people connect, discuss the things they care about, and through that, spark a desire to take action. And the thing that most excites me in this climate context is that I think you can be worrying about climate, you can be concerned, you can be tweeting articles, liking, sharing things on Facebook, but that doesn't necessarily get you up and away from the computer. Right. Uh, but if you can find a context where you're able to meet with other people who share that concern and you start talking about i can't believe this is happening and this what does this mean for the future and how can our government be letting this happen and our president you know that that i think fuels the energy it can fuel the anger it can fuel the passion and that can lead to people being like we got to do something but what well and then organizing Mm -hmm. You know, so it's counterintuitive that bringing people together, like you said, to slow down, to make intentional space and time for conversation about what matters, justice issues, what we value, can actually accelerate the organizing and action. But that's definitely not all the case, always the case. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, 
can there's plenty of examples gaze, right? <laughs> right but there's plenty of examples of, of small group ministries and and other kinds of small groups that don't lead to action right. so you know i think a big question for us going into this is what what do we need to do to make it more likely that it is going to lead to action that it's not going to get into navel gazing right and so oh, i have ideas <laughs> good <laughs> One of the things it's a workshop. One of the things that we're sure about is that that if we have groups that feel a little stuck, like they're not identifying for themselves what actions they might want to go out and take, we know that there are going to be groups near them, whether they're other praxis groups that are working with us or just people doing good work in the world of of climate and and uh-huh. the intersectional work related to climate. Um, that, that we can point people to it. And, and sometimes, like in my own experience, sometimes the way to get people engaged in doing actions is to get them engaged in supporting people who are doing actions and, and show up and be the support people. Right. And um, and that helps them to see, to feel the sort of power of it and to appreciate the work that people are doing and to feel like maybe I want to be one of the people doing those actions. And so working right. people into it in that way, I think is one way. And as we talk about how the Climate Disobedience Center is shifting to focus more on community building, strengthening relationships, and these praxis groups. I, mean, I hope that for those listening, this conversation just fuels an interest in how can we build small groups and just relationship building into what we're doing right. generally. So larger conversation. But you say praxis. For those who don't know what praxis means or is, can you explain that term? Yeah, so it's essentially a cycle of, of reflection and action, well, wrong wrong order. I'm going to start over again. I think it could go in any order. It could go in any order, but but involved where do you in jump, where do you jump into our, the cycle? Our, our sort of learning and reflection and action, and and doing that cyclically over and over again, so that um so that you're taking what you've what you've learned and you're applying it. You're reflecting on on how that went and what you then learned from that, and then you're taking another round of action, mm-hmm. so that it's it's a I don't want to say contemplative if that's a word that makes people think contemplative is sitting around thinking, but it's a it's intentional. I'll say it that way. It's a more intentional way of ensuring that that um, that you're going deeper. You're learning from what you've done and what you've maybe not done well enough or forgotten to do and uh, and applying that as you go forward. And I'm a big believer that you can jump into that cycle at any point. And as long as you're committed to going through that cycle that you know you can start with action even if you haven't really thought it out that well and you know it might not go great and you'll get lots to reflect on um you know or you can think through things but you can't get stuck in that um but a minute ago peter you you said you had some ideas on on how small groups cannot get stuck in that navel gazing uh-huh. and how they can actually be productive and engage with the world what have you seen along so, those lines when i've helped organizations put people into small groups one of the things that happens consistently over time is the people are like, ah, oh, this feels so good. And they attribute what they're experiencing to that great, you know, this replicable small group structure and process we can create. And we know if we put people in small groups of a certain size and facilitate structure, facilitate the conversation well, that that can make amazing conversations and things happen. And more and more people aren't used to that in their lives. And so they have this, oh my gosh, this is magical. And they don't want anyone to mess with their group. Mm -hmm. And so I say relationship, it's almost like 
rubber bands pulling inward. The relationship is an inward pulling force. And if you don't counteract the inward pull of relationship, it turns into like this dark hole of a, like a click. Se click self help, you know, therapy group. Um, and so how do you counterbalance that? And for me, what's most effective is a combination of vision casting, not just having a, a group session like where, oh, say we're meeting every other week. You are within the context of those meetings, continually sharing the vision. Why are we gathering in small groups? What's the point? And bringing in examples, opportunities from outside of the group. How do we practice this? So if I'm working with an organization and they're really looking just to build community across organization, you don't just get people in the small groups and only have them be in that inward pulling group. You got to say, all right, what's happening in the rest of, whether it's a congregation, a business, nonprofit, what's happening in the larger life of this organization or this movement and where are opportunities for us to participate in that together? So you're kind of creating a life of that group outside of your meeting time. That way, the relationships you're building aren't just pulling you in, but they're lifting up and supporting whatever the larger mission is. So if you think about climate, you know, it's like, yes, it's great to talk about all these things, but if you're talking about well, what's happening in the climate movement now, what are the, the local fights that are happening now? Who do we know who's working on that? How can we, you know, are there people that we can get together and have dinner with, build relationships with? You know, so I think it's the, that vision continually, having the vision casting pull people outside of the group to be looking outside and very concrete opportunities and invitation to participate in the larger work outside of the group. Mm -hmm. So Marlo, where do you, how do we do that? How do we do that vision casting? And, and what's our vision for these small groups? What's our vision? Ask me the easy questions, right? <laughs> um, so I think, so for me, one thing that came up, I don't know, a few minutes ago in this conversation is uh, the, the recognition that part of what we need to do for culture shifting is help people go from like, okay, I've heard some people before in the nonprofit sphere, like the, the green nonprofit sphere referred to, you know, the people who will show up for their things when they put out the call as foot soldiers. And so I would love for people to go from like, that's only mildly better than cannon fodder. Yeah, it's a little better. <laughs> um, but, but go from like, and it, whether it's conscious or not, an orientation of a foot soldier where you're waiting for somebody to tell you what the, the strategic thing to do is now and how, how they need you to do it, um, which is really not a grassroots modality, right? It, it's um, and, and to get more toward a, a situation where we've got way more people who are just prepared to do some strategic thinking. So one thing that we're not doing for sure is we aren't, we're not uh, intending to get a bunch of people together and program them right. and tell them what to do and how to do it. We're hoping to get a bunch of people together and um, expose them to uh, a lot of ideas and historical cases and opportunities to talk about all of that amongst themselves and and tools that that organizers for you know ever have used uh, to help them think strategically about what to do next and then 
give them opportunities to practice that strategic thinking so they can not only lead their own fights, but they can show up in fights that other people are leading and ask some really good questions that, that aren't being asked often enough today. So I think in part, like the grand vision is to build a powerful grassroots. Um, I don't know if the word is movement, like powerful grassroots sector or that's not a good word either is it it's terrible i mean i like that idea of of broadening the base of strategic thinking and including more people into that work of of strategic thinking that i think is particularly important to the climate challenge um for two reasons one we've talked about on on this podcast before about the the high risk and high vulnerability kind of work that needs to be done particularly with things like civil disobedience that um that it's very difficult and perhaps like not even ethical for a centralized leader to be telling people you need to go put yourself in that position of vulnerability That's right. you need to be taking these risks that that it, there has to be um a, a sense of initiative and calling from the people that are actually taking the risks and they're actually putting themselves in a vulnerable position so we need more people engaged in that um and the other thing that that we talk about a lot is that there's not really anybody who truly knows what needs to be done with this unprecedented crisis mm-hmm. and and the unprecedented change in in all of our physical and social structures that needs to be made in order for us to respond to the climate crisis you know that that uh, those of us who already have some kind of leadership position in in challenging the climate crisis are doing what we can think of to do and and we're trying different stuff and none of it's ever been enough. We, we still need more people coming up with new creative ideas yeah. and being empowered to, to bring them into reality. And it's way too easy to get stuck. Just Even when you are intentionally trying not to be stuck, it's way too easy to get stuck just doing the things over and over that you really know how to do. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the tactics, it, as opposed to, you know, when we don't have that broader... Um, engagement of more and more people and thinking strategically, we get stuck. And and so then we end up not thinking as strategically as we might. We just think, what's the thing I know how to do that I think might work the best? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's never been more obvious than the past year (laughs) (laughs) since the Trump administration came into power when I, I still get several emails a day from climate organizations saying, you know, oh, we're gonna send this petition to Secretary Zinke to stop exploiting our lands, or we're going to make our voice heard to Scott Pruitt to, to, to protect the climate. And, like, I know that there's not a single staffer in any of these organizations that thinks Scott Pruitt or Zinke gives a damn what anybody thinks. They're, they're going back and bragging to their donors that they pissed off our organizations but but it's just like it's the only thing we know how to do it's the only thing we're trained to do so we just keep doing it and when there when when there are fewer people in leadership you end up stuck in this situation where you're you feel like oh i have to pick something and do it because all these people are looking at me like i don't want all these people to be looking at me to tell them what to do i want us to figure out how to do it together like, I am right. confident that I don't have the answer by myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, every organizing training teaches us th- to say that, like, well, if you're in a leadership position, if you're running a meeting, you have to give people something tangible to do. Like, here's three things they can do today. And, and so if that's our mandate as leaders, we're always going to come up with the things that we already knew how to do or the things that have already been done. Uh, 
you know, we we need more of an opportunity for people to sit in their uncertainty. And I think that's a big part of what we're doing with these praxis groups is building containers for people to sit with uncertainty. I have for a long time worked on this particular question of of how people who are trying to, to do good organizing work can really learn to operate within uncertainty because uncertain moments of uncertainty or decades of uncertainty or whatever it is, those are the times when we most need people to dig in and and do the work and not get disoriented. And um, some people are naturally pretty good mm-hmm. at, at operating with uncertainty and other people really need to work on it. And, and so... I, yeah, I do think that it's really important for us to help people build those like internal skills of really finding some tolerance with uncertainty and not allowing it to shut them down. And in this context, with all the uncertainty coming from climate and the impacts, I think the small small groups can afford people a sense of stability. Mm-hmm. It's like a lifeboat, you know, amid, amidst the chaos that. There's a, a people are constantly able to come back, touch space, be in relationship with this core group of people, even if it shifts over time, who's in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for me, that's like personally one of the biggest attractions mm-hmm. to this. I mean, I'll be honest, when, when we were making some of this Praxis group work, some of our, our focus, you know, we, we came up with sort of the theories of change of why this could be effective and, and why it can be transformative. But we came up with that, or spelled it out anyway, kind of after we already decided to do it. Well, so what was it, the, the deeper I mean, really, what drove, what first came up for me was just that, like, I'm lonely in doing this work. And I just want stronger connections to to other people who are also serious about paying attention to this this crisis and and doing something about it and other people that are serious about living in integrity in in our call to do something about the climate crisis and and it's that loneliness that made me feel like i want a small group of people that are committed to this right and and i so and for me it was more like i had been pushing the idea of like developing a culture of resistance as as really more of a focus for the Climate Disobedience Center than just like big splashy individual acts of of civil disobedience. Like those are important and will happen, but um, those alone can't sustain any of the work. And so I just got really excited when we all got to the point where we were ready to really talk about that seriously. And um, small groups sounded like a really good way to get serious about it to me. Yeah, and I mean, I, I certainly hope that we're right in our theory of change that sure. this is going to be effective. But like we said, you know, this is such an unprecedented time that none of us can really be sure if if this is going to work. But I'm I'm quite sure that that this is what we want right now. And I and I tend to think that there's got to be other people out there that are feeling the same way and that also want that kind of connection. If there are people who are deeply engaged in climate work find it lonely mm-hmm. at times. Everybody, I think. Then, I mean, think about the larger world, the people mm-hmm. who aren't doing that. And, and then that corresponds to what I said earlier, just people going about their daily life are feeling more and more isolated. So I got to see there's this opportunity to use the climate movement and the way we have to shift our culture as a society 
as an, an organizing tool, the people that are hungry for connection, meaning, just doing amazing work together, and just enjoying life together, that we can start using small groups and other opportunities to bring people together in the way that they're hungry for. Mm-hmm. It sucks that it has to be around climate. Like, hey, couldn't we just, you know, like... Yeah, but I mean, the the interesting thing about climate change, is, as we found in a lot of our work, is that you never really know who is quietly having that existential crisis right. uh, about climate change. And, and, you know, they could be doing any kind of work <laughs> where they might have no outlet whatsoever to talk about it or, or connect with anybody else or take action on it. But they could have been thinking about this and studying this on their own. Um, and we found we've run into a lot of those folks over the years. Um, and, and so it kind of disrupts the, the normal notion of like this ladder of engagement mm, right. with, with an issue where you have to kind of start with this easy experience and do a little more. Um, I hate I, the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, that, I think it's, it's an issue that, um, that people can, can jump into a pretty high level of engagement, you know, and, and what we're looking for in our groups is people that are pretty committed. You know, it's, it's not an easy ask. It's not just like, you know, take this, click here and and you're good we're not trying to make it as easy as possible for people we say you know we we really want you to be committed here we want you to be fully present um and and be dedicated to one another in these groups um and and i think there's there's people across the spectrum of experience who who are ready for that Mm -hmm. level of engagement and 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 who are ready for really deep reflection and bold action on on climate change yeah and i think that this is a niche at least for now and um and i certainly don't think you know as tim said before we don't know if we already knew how to fix this problem we would have fixed it and we'd Mm -hmm. be on to the next one but um so i do think that this will be for some people and not for others and and i think the other really interesting thing about this moment is that about this sort of broader movement of movements moment is that we're, we're finding in lots of different places that people working on lots of different, like really critical justice concerns are moving in this direction right. mm-hmm. to, to try to figure out, okay, how do we go deeper with small groups of people to empower them to, to, to do really more sort of authentic, powerful action? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that it's not that we all need to group up into one model, but that I think we all need some kind of connection. And, you know, the, the Climate Disobedience Center is just running these groups on a pretty small scale. Like, you know, we're looking at having uh, a handful or so of, of groups in, in the New England area. Um, but like Marla said, there's folks doing this um, around the country in in different ways with, with slightly different focuses, some focused on, on climate change and some more broadly focused on on a lot of different social justice concerns and so there's there's lots of ways for people to get that connection that they need and and we certainly believe and hope that you know whatever climate focus groups we're working with as they as they get closer and they develop some skills when there's something that's not quite climate that is a pressing concern that comes up in their community they're going to be ready to show up as a group 
with some skills to offer in support of, of whatever that is um, and, mm-hmm. and build those bonds across, across our concerns. So I think in a way, like part of our hope and part of our, our idea of what we need to do within this work is to make sure that for especially groups that are predominantly white that are formed, like help those folks learn how to show up as good allies mm-hmm. and understand what that means. Um, and and at the same time, making sure that they understand that there are plenty of places for them to work powerfully on their own actions. So to be able to work um, across whatever lines might have traditionally divided us and do it in a way that's that's effective. So if folks want to get engaged in this particular iteration of, of small groups of fee- people coming together, to, to support one another holistically in tackling the climate crisis with the Climate Disobedience Center's Praxis groups. Marla, how can they get plugged into that? Go to our website, climatedisobedience.org slash community, and you can click on join here, and it will let us know that you're interested in, in joining up, and we'll follow up with you and um, either connect you to a group of people or talk to you about how you might build your own group going forward. And... Um, I guess I just want to say to people that, that now's the time for us to get engaged in acts of moral imagination, mm. to give ourselves Love that. like permission to, to really build that muscle and to do it together and to, to listen to what comes out of our, our friends and the folks that we're organizing with and to listen to what's coming out of ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and I think one of the, the great things about starting small and and building a small group is that it doesn't take a a ton of resources it doesn't take a six-figure grant from from a big foundation that's um, a relief or or a major (laughs) ngo to to sponsor it um and and so if if these efforts don't fit with you or if you're not in the in the new england area where we're working at this point um you know there's plenty of opportunity to exercise your own moral imagination and and start something up and and build this conversation um, and uh, do the work that needs to be done. Amen. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us on the Climate Workshop Podcast. Our music is by Brian K. Hall. You can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Climate Workshop. The Climate Workshop podcast is solely supported by our community of listeners. Using Patreon, the membership site for content creators, go to climateworkshop.org and click Become a Patron. We appreciate your support. See the light that flickers is a light that still burns on. The light that flickers is a light that still burns on. I take care of the spark, but baby, won't you lend your pretty little palm just to shield it from the wind? And honey, baby, maybe this light will be burning long. Ooh, ooh, ooh.